Marcus Paul, almost a public figure. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the mornings, right across Australia. On the iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio apps. The biggest issues. The biggest guess. Marcus Paul in the morning starts now. Well, we've made it to Wednesday. Nice to have your company. Marcus Paul in the morning. All the news and your views on our social media platforms, including Marcus Paul in the morning on Facebook. Nice to have your company. If you're tuning in via uh, iHeartRadio, tune in. And, of course, live on starterfm.com.au. You can leave comments on our social pages. And, of course, send me an email if you like to comment on any of the stories that I bring up this morning. Marcus.Paul at starterfm.com.au. It is the fifth day of, what is it, the 5th of April. I think, uh, for some reason, I want to keep saying the 5th of the 5th. It's the 5th of the 4th, 2022. Anyway, uh, look, I want to uh, touch on a, a lighter story very soon. When I say a lighter story, before I get into some of the big issues, uh, renting has increased by a ridiculous 10 to 12 percent, depending on where you are in, in either in capital cities or regional areas across much of Australia. I'll get into that story. But what the hell happened to Melissa Caddick? Did you watch it? The latest instalment of Underbelly? I loved it. Uh, I don't care. The critics can pan it, call it cringeworthy, whatever they like. I love seeing Australian actors get good roles, and I thought it was fantastic. And the fact that it apparently left more questions than answers is a good thing. I think that's that's what a, a good drama should do. Yeah, there's no doubt that the producers of the latest um, Underbelly Vanishing Act took liberty with the story, or did they? Who knows? Because we don't really know how it's ended yet. I suspect Melissa Caddick is probably out there somewhere. Who knows? Maybe in Switzerland, in the Swiss Alps. Yeah, skiing with the aid of a prosthetic leg, or certainly ankle. <laughs> but how did the, you know, the, the shoe with the remnants of the ankle and foot make its way all the way to a south coast beach? I don't know, maybe there was some DIY surgery done on the yacht as she fled the country on a false passport, who knows? Or maybe, as some suggested, uh, she was actually taken out on a boat and fed to the sharks by some seedy characters. (laughs) Anyway, I'll get into that, um, and I'd love to get your theories on it. We love uh, an unsolved mystery, don't we? For whatever reason here in Australia, we we really like our villains. And make no bones about it, uh, Melissa Caddick was a villain. She was a bitch. Um, And the fact that, you know, uh, she scammed with the Ponzi scheme stole literally millions, 30 million, I think, in total or something. Uh, And and these weren't necessarily just from strangers either. Close family, close friends, with friends like her, hey? Anyway, I'll get into that. Um, I'll give you an update on some politics. That's coming up as well. I'm going to catch up with Greg Urand from the Alternative Board. Have a little chat with Greg this morning and... Um, He's going to let us know as business owners 
you know, how we can improve our small business. If you're running a small to medium enterprise, uh, make sure you, you stick around and hear Greg. He's, uh, yeah, he's a good bloke, a good bloke, and he's got uh, some wonderful information on if you are a small business owner, how you can maximise uh, your growth and your profits and, and, and also get some me time. Anybody that runs their own business knows there's not a, enough me time. And how do you leverage those that have you know, been in similar positions? Well, simply, uh, if you don't have your own board, get on board with the alternative board. It'll make sense when I speak to Greg. <laughs> He's coming up on the program. Uh, plenty of music as well for you on this Wednesday. Um, I'll give you an update on all that wet weather that's on the way, uh, in particular for New South Wales again. Look, I am sorry for those people in the Northern Rivers who probably had enough rain to last a lifetime or two. And also, um, there is a severe weather warning in place in, again, metropolitan Sydney for the Nepean and Hawkesbury Rivers and those that generally riverine flood those areas uh, just over the next two to three days with you know another ridiculous amount of rain on its way i'll give you an update from the weather bureau that's coming up the latest news uh, will be kept up to date with uh, the team at air news as well this is marcus paul in the morning live on starterfm.com.au around australia and elsewhere i think they can pick us up on the moon these days it's nice to have you company Okay, welcome back on this Wednesday morning. Nice to have your company. Marcus Paul in the morning, live on Starter FM. We're here till nine. And of course, on your streaming app via iHeartRadio, tune in and later today via the Prawncast. Well, I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed the last couple of days of nice, warm, sunny weather. Uh, A brief reprieve. We've had it, haven't we? From the grey clouds... But it is set to end with Sydney and much of New South Wales, particularly along the coastline, set to be smashed by more heavy rain with severe weather warnings now in place. So here's the story. Further severe weather is forecast to hit parts of New South Wales amid the ongoing recovery from repeated floods in the north of the state. Widespread rainfall is expected to hit with up to 50 millimetres predicted in the Hunter region, the central and southern coastal regions today, according to the Bureau of Meteorology. Rain is forecast to increase on Thursday with isolated falls of up to 250 millimetres possible in some areas. A flood watch has been issued for minor to moderate flooding on the Nepean, Hawkesbury, Colo, Georges and Warrenor rivers. Localised flooding is also expected along the McDonald and Parramatta rivers and areas in North and South Sydney. A severe weather warning for heavy rain has already been issued for residents in Greater Sydney, the Illawarra, the South Coast and parts of the Hunter, Central Tablelands and the Southern Tablelands as well. Now, the Bureau says a strong upper trough and embedded low will amplify over central New South Wales today. A coastal trough is forecast to deepen in response to this upper weather system and will remain slow moving, producing areas of, well, heavy rainfall. Now, the system is expected to weaken by Friday morning. 
Now, the SES Assistant Commissioner Dean Storey said yesterday any additional rainfall could quickly escalate to flash flooding and we may see riverine flooding across large portions of the state as well. Well, authorities are preparing and pre-deploying to places at risk, adding that people should ensure they know what they're going to do if they're told to again evacuate. Well, the SES has responded to more than 31,400 calls for help and performed more than 2,200 flood rescues across the state in the past six weeks alone. Aren't those figures amazing? I'll repeat that. uh, 31,400 calls for help and more than 2,200 flood rescues. That's in the last six weeks. Uh, Meanwhile, the severe weather predicted for the rest of the week comes as residents in the state's north continue recovery efforts from two major floods in the space of a month. The Premier Dominic Perrottet, look, he might as well set up shop up there in Lismore. He was uh, up in that neck of the woods again yesterday. In fact, he was in the flood-hit town of Wardell to announce a $67 million support package for schools, TAFE and childcare. Now, the package includes additional counselling for staff who have also been affected by the floods. School principals in northern New South Wales will be responsible for distributing new support measures to help teachers and students return to school. Principals were the best place to understand who needs the support and ensure that they get it, according to the Education Minister, Sarah Mitchell. Now, some of the support could include reimbursing receipts for purchases by teachers and parents or providing vouchers for local businesses. Families can access $500 grants for each student to replace things such as school uniforms, bags and sporting equipment, as well as paying for other school expenses such as excursions. Teachers who have lost resources, including laptops, can apply for $1,000 to replace them. Around 20 schools were affected by the most recent floods, five of which have been significantly damaged, which may require buildings to be demolished and rebuilt, according to the Education Minister. Meanwhile, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, said yesterday that he had written to Dominic Perrottet to stress his government was happy to share the costs of the flood support programs. Mr Perrottet said when announcing new grants on Monday that New South Wales would welcome support from the federal government. Uh, But he said, but ultimately, we're not going to wait, we're going to get on with the job. Uh, Scott Morrison also disputed criticism from New South Wales Upper House MP Catherine Cusack, who announced two weeks ago she would quit Parliament over discrepancies in flood support between electorates. Cusack has been speaking out against Scott Morrison in the media this week, joining other critics within the Liberal Party. The Prime Minister said Ms Cusack's anger was misplaced and defended the previous funding announcements. All right, well, submissions opened on Monday for the inquiry into the New South Wales floods, which is being led by New South Wales Independent Planning Commission Chair Mary O'Kane and, of course, former New South Wales Police Commissioner Mick Fuller. So the public can make submissions via post, online or in person at service New South Wales centres and recovery centres, as well as at local hearing sessions. Marcus Paul in the morning. Right, Wednesday morning. Nice to have your company. Look, before I get stuck into some more serious news, 
I have to say, I'll go on the record, I thoroughly enjoyed the latest instalment of Underbelly. Even though critics panned it, some say it was far-fetched, but we really don't know what happened to Melissa. Personally, I think she still could be out there somewhere, hobbling along on one leg, looking for an ex-victim, if you like. Well, the, and I watched it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was on Sunday and Monday night. And the latest season of Underbelly, based on the disappearance of Sydney con woman Melissa Caddick, has sparked a wave of wild theories after it left viewers with more questions than answers. That's good, though. I think that's good in a drama. The two-part miniseries, titled Vanishing Act, which aired on the Nine Network, was inspired by real events, with producers having to fill in many gaps in the story that remains a real-life mystery and viewers throwing out their own theories, including that she was, quote, fed to the sharks or cut off her own foot. Yeah. The 49-year-old disappeared a day after authorities raided her $6.8 million Dover Heights house, an affluent area in Sydney's eastern suburbs. That was way back on November the 11th, 2020. Now, the mystery dominated headlines at the time. I remember speaking about it. And it captured the imaginations of Australians who wondered what happened to the wealthy woman after she ran a Ponzi scheme that saw her allegedly embezzle more than $30 million from some 60 clients. Now, New South Wales police, as I mentioned, declared Caddick dead after her foot was found washed ashore on a south coast beach on February the 21st, 2021, some three months after she vanished. Factual details about her life and business exploits were slowly pieced together by police and journalists, but with many questions remaining, producers of the television show put their spin on the story. The program has been divisive, attracting a huge viewership and waves of criticism. Good, that's that's what you want. One viewer posted on social media, I thought it was pretty cringe, but then I needed to see what they thought happened. But in the end, no one knows, right? Well, that's right. No one does know. The television version of what happened explored some bizarre ideas on what may have happened, with viewers floating some even more out there theories. In the program, Caddick, who was played by Kate Atkinson, you might remember her from the series of Wentworth, she pauses at the locker at the lookout on the gap at, uh, at you know, the, the cliffs where, sadly, many people have taken their lives in Sydney's eastern suburbs. Her joint was just around the corner from it. Anyway, she stepped back from the edge. The remainder of the episode explored a whirlwind of imagined scenarios that could have followed. One of the most bizarre theories the show's producers explored was that the former financier severed her own foot to fool detectives while she fled the country. Another idea was that Caddick had a safe house on the New South Wales south coast and was then found by a former client who turned out to be a gangster. Perhaps the most reasonable fictionalising of the woman's death that made it onto viewers' screens came from the idea that the con woman had fake passports and skipped the country on a yacht. There's been no suggestion of this in the official investigation, though. Look, the about turn from the original story emboldened viewers of the show to share their own theories about what they believe may have happened to Melissa Caddick. 
Her case captured the imagination of Australians and still fascinates me, who avidly followed the case as it unfolded late 2020. As it slowly unfolded, an avalanche of ideas and theories were bandied about on social media about what might have happened. These had mostly disappeared by the start of 2022, but the new program has revved up the conspiracy theorists yet again. (laughs) One theory put forward was that Caddick accidentally died after cutting her own foot off. Another, which was almost touched upon by the television show, is that she was taken out to sea by organised criminals and fed to the sharks. Many armchair detectives, though, focused on her significant wealth and suggested Caddick left the country on a private jet or yacht. That's the one I believe in. That's the one. Another take on how she used her money was that she saw a surgeon who amputated her foot. One viewer on Twitter wrote, Melissa Melissa Caddick is sitting somewhere in Switzerland drinking wine with her new prosthetic foot, watching an episode of Underbelly about her. (laughs) True. Away from the television show, Caddick's money and other matters are still being investigated by ASIC. The remaining money in her accounts and her shares were handed over to liquidators earlier this year. Good. Now, in February, the federal court ruled that money remaining in her multiple bank accounts, credit accounts and shares would also be given to liquidators as they were looking to sell off Caddick's Dover Heights home. Now, of course, this ruling was opposed by Caddick's husband, Anthony Coletti, who disagreed. Anyway, uh, he didn't get his way. He might have to go and work for a living. Poor fella. All right, well, you know, on this program, I've spoken at length on housing affordability and the affordability of being able to rent, particularly in big cities along the eastern seaboard of Australia. Now, late last night, a story dropped. The housing supply crisis in New South Wales has sent rents skyrocketing by almost 10% in Sydney and up to double that across the state. Dear oh dearie me. So the housing supply crisis has sent rents rocketing by 10%. (laughs) Some tenants are being slugged an extra $150 a week. Uh, I mean, really? An extra $150 a week. One tenant, who is a Northern Beaches mum of three by the name of Rachel, said, I understand the cost of living and rental rates rising, but that is a shock. She was told her rent was going up by $70 a week from July. She said she didn't sleep when she found out. She said, I know people probably think, well, if you can't afford to live on the northern beaches and move away, but I have three kids who go to school, one in a disability school, and they have a home here. I have no idea what I'm going to do. I feel so overwhelmed and sick. Now, she's not alone. Official figures show renting a house or apartment in Sydney has gone up by almost 9% in the last year. Posts from renters on a Northern Beaches Community Forum complain of rent increases of up to 150 bucks a week. Tenants Union of New South Wales rent tracker data shows outer Western Sydney areas such as the Blue Mountains. Well, they've experienced a two-year rental increase of 12.5%. And for Campbelltown, the rents there have gone up by nearly 12% as well. 
The union's New South Wales policy manager, Jemima Mowbray, is encouraging renters to try and talk to their landlords. Uh, But she felt the reality is a lot of renters don't have the confidence to do that. They don't have the power to negotiate with their landlords. We've got an imbalance of power in our rental sector, and it's a real problem. Look, the problem is apparently even worse in regional New South Wales. That's what we're hearing. Now, a University of New South Wales senior research fellow in City Futures by the name of Chris Martin said, movement to the regions by people who wanted to work from home had soaked up supplier properties and driven up the rents there. Now, the average rent in the Illawarra and the Hunter in the past two years is up 22% and up by 17% in Newcastle. In the state's flood-battered northern rivers, there was already a rental crisis before floodwaters affected more than 7,000 homes. Now it's catastrophic up there. There's no doubt about that. Before the floods, uh, this Tony Davies, who's chief executive of homeless charity Social Futures, said, before the floods, I had an elderly couple, a man in his 80s and a woman in her 70s, who'd been renting a place for nine years until the rent went up and they were left sleeping in their car. Our social housing is about helping people who are elderly and vulnerable and need a home. We've let them down. All right, well, what does the government say? Planning and Homes Minister Anthony Roberts said the government was, quote, fast-tracking the planning system and focusing on unlocking housing supply in our cities and regions. (laughs) Thanks, Anthony. That's really going to help. The rental crime, well, it will, ultimately, but how many years is that going to take? The rental crisis comes at a time when, uh, as I've reported, you've heard much about in the media, the Australian dream of owning a home is getting increasingly out of reach for many young families. Have you been affected? Has your rent gone up ridiculously? Drop me an email, let me know. Marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au All right, Wednesday morning. Nice to have your company here on Starter FM and, of course, on your favourite streaming app, be it uh, iHeartRadio or TuneIn, or maybe you're listening back on the podcast. Now, the last couple of weeks I've been telling you all about uh, a group of business people called the Alternative Board and somebody who uh, who made contact with the program to tell us about the alternative board is Greg Urand. Uh, Greg's been listening to me, I think, for a while. Hello, mate. Hi, how are you going? Great to be here. Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, let's, before we get into uh, what your business is all about and what the alternative board is all about, you've been uh, listening for a little while, I think. I have. Yeah. I have. I love it. Even at the old joint? I did. It was very refreshing. <laughs> Why? Why so? Why? Because yeah. you're you're a breath of fresh air. You're not like the others. You speak your mind, yeah. and it's great. It really is great. Well, it was was great. Uh, well, <laughs> what, what was saying, great will be better again. Okay. Uh, you reckon there's a, a space for somebody left of centre again on talk radio? Do you? Where else do we find one? Well, I don't think there is many. No, there isn't. So, you know. Uh, save maybe John Stanley on 2GB. That's about it. 
correct nowadays. Yeah, yeah, all and right. He's great, but you've, you know, you're, you're, you know, I love listening <laughs> to you, and I'm not alone. Oh, well, yeah, we're, well, well, look, this new venture is is slowly starting to uh, pick up new listeners. You know, it's tough not being on on air, if you like, on a terrestrial station every day, which is obviously what we'd love to be doing. But look, uh, I think uh, it is the way of the future. More and more uh, people are streaming um, and listening to podcasts and streaming broadcasts on, you know, uh, platforms like iHeartRadio and TuneIn. So, you know, it's just a, a matter of changing, I guess, changing habits. But, you know, sometimes old habits do die hard, don't they? They certainly do, and that's why that's why I, you know I'm I'm offering as much support as I can for you. I, yeah. you know, I think you deserve it. I think you you're need a, it. You're a good man. You're a good <laughs> I try man. Try to be. I try to be. All right. So uh, look, we've been saying over the last couple of weeks, uh, business owners need to ask themselves a few important questions. As a business owner, you often start with a a vision of what your business will allow you to achieve in in your personal life. What do you mean by that, Greg? It's, it's really important to understand two questions. And if you've got the answer to two questions, the first one is what's your personal vision? And the second one is what's the vision for your company? Right. People, business owners don't get asked that. What we try and do is identify the reasons why, pe- why people get out of bed. That's one of the things. Mm. You know, why do you get out of bed? The second thing is, yeah, why do they put all their money at risk? And when we say at risk, owning a business is a risky is a risky venture. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and and what we what we ask is, you know, they could be in fact a wage slave working for themselves, mm-hmm. right? So many hours a week, and it's just, you know, is it is it achieving what they want? When you work for yourself, and I've worked for myself, I currently work for myself, and I've yeah. worked for myself for a large number of years, it's you. You're not accountable to anybody else other than you. When you have a barbecue, you have people around, you're talking to them, they don't care, they don't understand, um, they're not going to ask. You know, they're talking about uh, the footy and everything else. Yeah. But they're not talking about business. And, and what we try and do is challenge business owners to start thinking about why they're in business. And if they can answer those two very important questions, we can help them. And we've helped a lot of business owners. Yeah. Well, you say it's important, uh, you know, in this day and age, uh, the realities of running a business takes over and sometimes you lose track of how your working life should be aligned with achieving your personal vision of success. What do you mean by that? Um, I I travel to work very early in the morning. Yeah. At six o'clock in the morning, as you'd be aware, at six o'clock the roads are full of cars. I mean, it wasn't through COVID, but now the traffic's starting to get back oh, to yeah. um, as it was. And you just think, where are these people going, and how can there be so many people on the roads at this time of the morning? But you know what? They're going to work in their own, you know, working for a big company and doing what they're doing. And when they get home at night, they're always on the computer and on their phone and working, 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 working their butts off. Yeah. And a lot of people say, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. And it takes a special person to say, I'm going to throw it all in and I'm going to open my own business. Mm. 
And when you open your own business, <laughs> that's when you really know it's uh, um, it's tough because yeah, you know, it is tough. You, you you've got nobody else to to um, to answer to. Yeah, um, you've got you, you've got all these people that are ringing you for money, and you're going, okay, well, I've, I'm going to make this sale, and I'm going to make this sale. One of the things we find at the alternative board, and we love it, we challenge the business owners. We make them accountable because as a business owner, most business owners think, well, it's my business, it's my money, I'll do what I want, when I want, how I want, which is great. But, you know, can you um, structure the business in such a way that allows you that personal freedom that you deserve. You've put the uh, the time in, you've put the money in, and if you've got a good concept, and there's a lot of bad concepts out there, and I've had a few myself, Yeah. but there's there's a lot of really good concepts out there. And if you're a successful business owner, um, yeah, the, the rewards are amazing. But oh, nobody, yeah, and nobody holds you accountable. So we hold them accountable in our in our board meetings, um, and that's what's that the, the business owners and the members of our boards say the one thing that they love most about the alternative board is the accountability. Somebody is asking me to do something. I've agreed to do something at a meeting, mm. and next month or during the month they're going to ring me and say, "How's it going?" Yeah, you go, okay. Um, Mm. Well, uh, you do challenge businesses. I mean, you ask them uh, to, I guess, consider a number of uh, factors, a number of questions, if you like, including are you ready to take your business to an entirely new level? Who's in control? You or your business? How are you at balancing your business and your personal life? Uh, do you need help seeing the opportunities available to you? Do you feel like you're fighting fires all alone? And and where do you turn for the truth about your business? And I guess that all ties into the accountability, Greg. It, it does. The the bigger businesses around town have you know um, structured management teams. Yeah. If they've if they haven't got the structured management teams, they might even have a board of their own, which has your finance guy and your operations guy and your sales and your project management and everything else. Of course. And that's the board. If you're a small solo player, um, you don't have that luxury. So we offer um, like-minded business people the opportunity to get together once a month, sit around a table, and that's the board. And that's where we we challenge them. We say, right, what are the issues facing your business today? And one one member might say, well, it's cash flow. Mm. At the alternative board, um, I'm part of a team of four, and I've got somebody John Sweeney, who's such an experienced businessman, his experience is all in terms of finance, right? I've got another guy, Nigel, who is exceptionally strong at operations. Ruchi is a project manager, and myself has the has, has the experience in sales and, and manage, sales and marketing. And together, we think we we have the broad skill set that allows the business owners to to be challenged and to see different uh, different okay. aspects of their business. And what we do find is that no matter what type of business you are, we, we deal with businesses that turn over more than $1 million, generally speaking. And no matter what type of business that is, whether it's a first aid supplier, whether it's a, um, a electronics manufacturer, whether yeah. it's an accountant, whether it's a, uh, a dental manufacturing company, 
they all have the same issues. And we 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 are always well we're not, but it's always amazing to oh well I had that same issue and this is how I dealt with it. Okay. Oh you've got the same so oh you know about of course you know about small businesses that keeps you awake at night and this is what we do. And what are you going to do about it, business owner? And they go, Oh, uh uh and that's where we challenge them and we make them accountable. There you go. So it's like having a board as such that you're answering to as a business owner, albeit, uh, here we go, an alternative board. (laughs) Spot on. (laughs) Love the pun. (laughs) Well, I mean, let's be honest, that's basically what it is. I mean, you you do help forward-thinking business owners increase their profitability and improve their lives. You leverage local business advisory boards private business coaching and proprietary strategic services. So you point them in the right direction as well. Yeah, we, we certainly do. So we, we offer the boardroom um, option and we also offer business coaching and that's where the experience of the four of us comes in. But the Alternative Board is is a, um international organisation. Yes, yes. Um, and, uh, you know, we operate all, all, all down the eastern seaboard. Um, but the skills and experience that the owners of the alternative board have are so yeah. relevant um, for business owners. Okay. Well, I mean, you have a membership model. Um, it's it's important that people make contact with you to find out how they can leverage their business to make it uh, as as profitable, if that's the right word, or as successful as possible, uh, you know, both financially and also, as you uh, rightly point out and we, we spoke about, you know, uh, so that you're not constantly, 24-7, seven days a week, um, you know, running things uh, to the point where you're, you're running yourself into the ground. That That's absolutely spot on. Working on your business not in the business is ah. is what we try and get people to do. Um, you know, get it structured in a way that you are in control of your business and not the other way around. Yep. Well, look, it sounds very interesting to me. How do people make contact with the alternative board um, and, and and what's on offer at the moment, Greg? They, they make contact. I'm, I'm a real people person, so my phone number – um, that's the way I'd like to um, to have yep. people contact me, uh, 0400-858-190. 0400-858-190 or? <laughs> uh, yep. Um, an email address would be greg.urand, U-R-A-N-D, yeah. at, at au. All right. Well, when we podcast this, uh, I'll do it separately and I'll I'll leave those details up as well. We'll have that up uh, in the next uh, half day or so. Greg, it's been fascinating speaking to you and uh, and thank you for supporting what what I do. And I know that you do personally and and I do thank you very much. Uh, And look, importantly... If you uh, enjoy what I do, um, you know, it's important that you support those that support me. And if you're running a small business, no matter where you are, uh, get involved. Make contact with the alternative board. Give Greg a call or send him an email and see how you can take your business to the next level and get the help that you may need. Thanks, Marcus. Yeah, nice to have you company. One of my earliest uh, and most wonderful memories of uh, my boys, 
Bailey and Jackson, when they were younger, was taking them to all the amusement parks, theme parks, up there on the Gold Coast. We lived there, just me and the boys, for a number of years. And it was a fantastic time in my life, and hopefully theirs as well. Anyway, uh, and we loved going to, to Movie World, Sea World. Dream World was probably my favourite because I loved going to see the things like the, the tigers. Loved seeing the tigers. Anyway, um, and we went, of course, on all of the rides up there at Movie World, Dream World, Sea World, etc. Now, the Dream World accident uh, a couple of years ago that claimed lives, that was horrific, terrible. And uh, it was on the Rapid River ride, and the boys and I had been on that many a time, and we loved it. Anyway, so uh, I was really concerned when I I heard the news alert yesterday that a a young boy had fallen from a ride at Movie World on the Goldie. Uh, Paramedics said the 12-year-old boy suffered serious head injuries after taking a fall at around 1 o'clock. He was uh, taken to Gold Coast University Hospital in a stable condition. Now, the incident occurred on the Looney Tunes carousel ride. Now, looking at this Looney Tunes ride, it looks to me to be about as safe and docile, if you like, if that's the right term to use. But you know what I mean. It looks pretty safe. I mean, it's a carousel ride and the kids sit on top of, uh, of you know, movie world characters whether it's Bugs Bunny or whomever. Um, Now, the ride remained closed throughout yesterday afternoon, according to the park operator Village Roadshow Theme Parks. Uh, They said in their statement, this afternoon an ambulance was called to Movie World to attend a guest following an incident on the carousel ride. The guest received a laceration to his head. I'm told it was a very deep cut and was attended to by Movie World's nurse before being taken to hospital in a stable condition. Our thoughts are with the guest and his family, and we wish him a speedy recovery. Now, the ride was closed as a precautionary measure while it was established how the incident occurred. Uh, Now, the owners say we pride ourselves on our standards of care and quality, and an investigation is being conducted as a matter of priority into the exact cause of the incident. The safety and well-being of guests and team members is our top priority, and on it goes. And they say they are committed to providing guests with a fun and safe environment. Look, I think our theme parks, those up on the Gold Coast, the ones that I've mentioned, are pretty bloody safe. Uh, Yes, we've had a couple of unfortunate incidents, uh, including at Dreamworld, of course. But, I mean, overall, I think the standard of safety is very high. Gold Coast Mayor Tom Tate, well, he weighed in saying the incident was being managed by relevant safety and emergency service bodies. Work safety officers and police will manage the incident and council will make no further comment. So, uh, yeah, local government not really involved nor needed. Um, And look, it'll be interesting to find out how this young fellow was injured. Uh, But by all accounts... It looks to me as if perhaps he fell off the ride. I don't know. That's just secondhand what I've heard. But in any case, we wish him all the best. I'm sure he will make a a full recovery. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, nice to have you company on this Wednesday. Marcus Paul in the morning, the fifth day of April. I've never heard of the protest group Fireproof Australia. Have you? 
Well, apparently their protesters blocked traffic at Brighton Le Sands, peak hour traffic that is, yesterday morning. And to the disgust of those on 2GB, <laughs> they walked free with paltry fines. The four activists charged after blocking peak hour traffic at Brighton Le Sands on Tuesday morning have walked free with paltry fines after tough new penalties passed in Parliament have not yet been signed off in time. <laughs> so, yeah, a bit of a loophole there. The new laws, which were passed on Friday, did not apply to Deanna Coco, who's 33, Andrew uh, Dugoid, who's 46, Sarah Edwards, 48, and Catherine Adams, 61, who were all arrested after blocking three lanes of traffic on General Holmes Drive. Yeah, look, I've uh, gone on the record saying I support, you know, uh, what they're trying to do, particularly Blockade Australia, who've, you know, been given the names <laughs> uh, Blockheads Australia by their critics. I support what they're trying to do, but not the way in which they're doing it. I, I just don't believe uh, that sitting down in front of a truck on General Holmes Drive you know, is the right thing to do. You, you place not only yourself in danger, but what about the truck driver? What about if he didn't see you and ran over you? You've ruined his life. Come on. I don't think it's the right way to go about things. Maybe a little different, perhaps, uh, blocking a coal truck. I don't know. I really don't know. I've, I've spoken to, you know, these sorts of protesters before, and no matter what I say or anybody says, they have it in their heads that, you know, the most disruptive sort of actions they can come up with, whether it's, you know, <laughs> setting up some kind of uh, apparatus uh, to block sh uh, trains or to block traffic or whatever, you know, or abseiling on things and all that sort of stuff. That's, that's their go-to method. And I can't see them changing, to be honest. Well, and maybe they are getting their point across. Here I am talking about it. Anyway, the group, the activist group, is called Fireproof Australia. First time I've heard of them. Uh, last month, they bo blocked traffic on the spit... Oh, OK, so it's this mob who blocked traffic on the spit bridge as well. They claim responsibility for the protest at 8.30 in the morning that angered commuters as one man got out of his car and tried to drag an activist out of the way. Oh, I can't say I blame him, to be perfectly honest. I'm just looking at the photograph of this bloke who apparently tried to drag one of the activists away. He's a big fella, um, buffers all hell with tats everywhere. And I don't know, if he tried to drag me off the road, I think I'd get up and leave. Anyway, increasing number of protests on vital roads and freight corridors have prompted New South Wales Parliament last week to pass strict new rules meaning protesters who block major roads and disrupt traffic face up to two years in prison and $22,000 in fines. That's if a magistrate has the you-know-whats to actually impose the maximum penalty. But we're told at Sutherland Local Court the toughest fine handed down was $630 to Coco, who in October 2020 stormed a government building in Sydney CBD topless to protest... The Narrabri gas project. How did I miss that? Sorry. Uh, anyway, then she was acting for Extinction Rebellion. Okay. So is that what these activists do? Um, there's no loyalty. So if you're with Extinction Rebellion, you can go to Fireproof Australia. 
Uh, I wonder if you can do the pro, you know trifecta and go to blockade Australia as well. Anyway, this Coco pled guilty at Sutherland local court to willfully preventing free passage of a person or vehicle, refusing to comply with police directions and fail or refuse to disclose identity as required. So she was uh, given a $630 fine. The others, Edwards and Adams and Dugid, all pled guilty as well to the same three offences, and they were fined a total of 440 bucks each. Okay, so thousand, nearly two grand's worth of fines for the whole lot of them. I don't think it's anywhere near enough. But anyway, uh, when these laws pass, the new laws will make it illegal to seriously disrupt vehicles or pedestrians on roads, but only if the road is identified in government regulations. Okay, well, there might be more loopholes. It's understood the four people were objecting to the new laws, with the group releasing a statement saying, defying newly passed laws, Fireproof Australia supporters blockade a major road at Botany Bay in peak hour with their bodies and a call for large aerial tanker fleet of water bombing planes to fight fires. Okay, but we didn't we only recently get one? What about that new 737? It's out there at Richmond Airport. I've seen it there. It's parked there. Anyway, it came as video emerge of frustrated motorists shouting at the alleged protesters as traffic backed up. Police have charged four activists who allegedly blocked traffic at Brighton. Okay, so anyway, on we go. What do you make of all of this? I, I support and understand what these people are trying to do, but not their methods. And look, is it any wonder that, you know, you've got blokes who drive trucks frustrated, desperate enough to bypass the roadblock by, you know, trying to drag people off. I mean, it's quite surreal, really. I mean, I felt sorry for drivers trying to get to work along that busy road. Uh, and apparently the delay would have been a good half hour or so. And when police got there, the usual... These people, um, you know, just pretended they weren't there and refused to comply with any direct or move on directions that they were given. Anyway, you may care to comment. I'd love to get your views on this. What's your take on the protesters, whether it's Extinction Rebellion, uh, Blockade Australia or this new mob, Fireproof Australia? Um, do you agree with their methods? Let me know. Marcus Paul in the morning. Nice to have you come. Well, one of my old sparring partners at the old joint was One Nation Senator Malcolm Roberts, and eventually we'll get back, hopefully, to uh, to having regular chats with One Nation, um, including either Malcolm or Pauline or both, maybe even Mark Latham. He's always good value. Anyway, I read yesterday that the family of a New South Wales father who apparently passed away uh, due to COVID-19 has had a fair bit of uh, criticism directed toward Malcolm Roberts. Now, Malcolm told me, hand on heart, that he wasn't a an anti-vaxxer, but he was, quote, pro-choice. Uh, I fail to differentiate between the two. I'm sorry, I just don't. You're either going to take a vaccine or you're not, okay? And uh, I'm sorry if uh, you are working with vulnerable people, uh, those who could you know, contract COVID if you have it. 
and not survive it, well then, you know, if, if you're working as a, uh, a nurse or a, you know, you know what I'm saying. Um, I kind of, I understand where people like Malcolm Roberts are coming from, saying it's coercion and all this sort of stuff, but if it's the health advice, surely you follow the health advice. I mean, there's health advice out there saying don't drink yourself to death or don't smoke yourself to death. Anyway, the family of a New South Wales father who died suddenly in his sleep has been left frustrated, disappointed and confused after a politician claimed he had died as a result of the COVID-19 vaccine. Now, Daniel Perkins, a father of two from Shell Harbour down in the Illawarra, had no signs of illness when he died at home in December, leaving behind his wife, Nikki, and two eight-year-old sons, Logan and Geordie. Now, on Tuesday, in a speech to Parliament, One Nation Senator Malcolm Roberts claimed COVID-19 vaccine injuries were being, quote, hidden behind anonymous government data, unquote, adding, quote, the very least we can do for the victims of COVID vaccines is to say their names. One victim he named was Daniel Perkins, a 36-year-old healthy father from Albion Park died of a heart attack in his sleep following his second Pfizer injection. The only problem is Daniel's family is not aware of any evidence that the vaccine played a role in his sad death. Now, his brother-in-law, Shane Anderson, has apparently told Seven News that his sister Nikki was, quote, devastated after seeing her partner's death being used in this way. The frustration and anger that I had this morning just knocks you off your feet because you think, how dare you? How dare you bring my brother's name into this at such a terrible time in our life? We are just totally gutted that that was even suggested when we as a family don't even have that information. Anyway, they say the family was disappointed as not only was the information entirely untrue, but also used without prior approval. Yeah, well, they do have a point. They do have a point. My sister had no one ring her up and ask for any of that kind of information or, or even whether that was the case. Well, at the time of Daniel's death, the family was told he had an enlarged heart, but a definitive cause of death would require an investigation by the coroner. Now, it's been confirmed the final post-mortem results are still pending. So I tend to agree with the family. For Malcolm Roberts, or any politician for that matter, to comment on something when it's still under investigation is a little absurd. Anyway, they go on to say, we'd be more than willing to have a chat if it was true, but there's been no information given to the family that would even suggest that is the case. And to be used in federal parliament as a pin board is disgraceful. If I could get an apology from him, that would be very much appreciated. Three months on, Shane said every day is hard for his nephews and sister, who'd been with Daniel for 21 years. Oh, yeah, that's awful. Uh, the little fellas have days where they say, Dad used to do this with me, or Dad used to take me there, and I'll stop for a split second and have that uh-oh feeling. But generally, um, they are two young eight-year-old boys living their life as they should. Yeah, well, I wish them every health and happiness in the future. Uh, little eight-year-old, you know, children shouldn't 
lose their parents that young. Awful story. Anyway, we'll see where Malcolm Roberts uh, goes with this. I hope he responds to the family and gives them an apology. I think that's the least he owes them. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, it's the middle of the week. Hump day, uh, I think, is what we call it, don't we? Or is that, I don't know, too boomerish? Marcus Paul in the morning on this Wednesday, the 5th of the 5th, 2022. I heard uh, a lot of commentary um, yesterday um, and also, in fact, on Monday. There's been a lot of criticism from those on the right and, you know, we're coming up to an election. Hurry up and call it, would you, Scott? Uh, Please, dear Prime Minister. Anyway, um, as you would expect, those conservatives, those on the right, um, are having a real old crack at Anthony Albanese and, of course, the aged care wages plan that he announced, uh, of course, after uh, Josh Frydenberg's budget. And then Albo said that, you know, we, he would... Inc- I'll go through what he says. Anyway, a key plank of Labor's aged care strategy has been called into question by a senior ALP frontbencher with Shadow Attorney-General Mark Dreyfus suggesting that a pledge to put an aged care nurse in every nursing home 24-7 might need to be paused. Yeah, well, look, as I say, I heard a lot of the criticism uh, from those on the right, Uh, but I think what everybody is missing here is shouldn't we expect a nurse, that's an aged care nurse, in every nursing home 24-7? Shouldn't that be the minimum we should aspire to, regardless of the politics, for goodness sake? Anyway, last Thursday, Albo announced that under a Labor government, every aged care facility will be required to have a registered, qualified nurse on site 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I don't, I can't see why this can't be legislated, particularly, you know, in the private sector. It's all a part of his pledge to ensure older Australians receive the aged care they deserve. And it's not just, you know, having nurses available 24-7. You know, it stops serving them shit. Sorry. Stop serving them slop. Stop spending less than, what, three, four bucks on dinner for those in aged care. Anyway, speaking on ABC Radio in Melbourne, apparently on Monday night, Mr Dreyfus suggested that this might not be possible anytime soon. Uh, Questioned by the host about the feasibility of the pledge, Mr Dreyfus said, we're talking about setting the standard, and if it is in fact true that there are not enough nurses in Australia to provide that level of care, we should train more. Well, of course we should. It might be that it turns out we have to pause it. Obviously, if you've set the standard and there's just not enough staff, then that's something that's going to have to be looked at. Look, last year, the age... See, I think what's getting lost in all of this, and, and the right can attack Albo as much as they like, and they're going to. You've got to remember the key factor, that one word that shone like a, you know, uh, I don't know, a beacon, if you like, After the Aged Care Royal Commission, that one word was neglect. And surely, you know, okay, so uh, Labor have made this an issue heading into the next election. Why wouldn't they? All of this neglect has happened under the government's watch. So surely we need to improve things. 
And that's not just Anthony Albanese and Labor calling for an improvement in wage care in the country, it's a Royal Commission. Last year, the Aged Care Royal Commission called for nurses in every aged care facility by the 1st of July 2024, something which the government has already said it supported. Aged Care Services Minister Richard Colbeck, oh, what a waste of space that bloke's been, he was quick to jump on the Shadow Attorney General's comments. Well, of course he was. Uh, you know, Richard Colbeck, yeah, honestly. Remember, you know, under oath when he was asked, uh, I think in some parliamentary inquiry about whether or not uh, he knew how many people in aged care had acquired COVID, and he was, he was just not on top of his, his, uh, of his portfolio. Anyway, he went on and said that Mark Dreyfus, the Shadow Attorney General, has admitted that Labor would have to pause its promise of an earlier rollout of 24-7 nurses in aged care. It has ignored the advice of the Aged Care Royal Commission and claimed they would introduce 24-7 nurses a year ahead of schedule. Uh, Hang on, what do you mean a year ahead of schedule, Colbeck? Isn't that a good thing? I mean, if we could have nurses in nursing homes 24-7 tomorrow, surely we should be doing it. Not by the end of 2024. Anyway, like I say, I just, I get really annoyed about uh, the aged care sector. Uh, you know, my, my old man lived in aged care for the last couple of years of his life. And, you know, one of the things he told me uh, very clearly was that there was just a lack of staff. Anyway, $3.9 billion in funding to support the increase of nursing and direct care minutes is what apparently the federal government has promised. I don't care who does it, whether it's Albo and his mob if they get in or the incumbents. Somebody just bloody get on and do it. Improve aged care because the people that built this country deserve that and so much more. Marcus Paul in the morning. Well, that's about it for today. If you missed any of the program, uh, and I, I need to, I did it. I knew I was going to do it. I think I said it was the 5th of the 5th. January, February, March, April, Marcus, 5th of the 4th. <laughs> anyway, if you missed any of today's program, uh, catch up a little later with the Prawncast uh, on your favourite podcasting app. We will be back between 7 and 9 tomorrow morning. Uh, all the latest news, some little bite-sized chunks of news, a bit of my opinion, and any of your feedback as well. Um, I've been a little slack on the Facebook page. My apologies. I'll put some more stuff up um, today and over the next 24 hours or so, so you can leave your comments on any of the big stories. But if there's something you might want me to follow up, please send me an email, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au and leave your comments on the Facebook page. Something I am going to follow up in the next, uh, well, certainly week, uh, something uh, perhaps I think that might interest Sir Khan and the team too at at True News Crime Weekly, and that is the New South Wales State Government is trying to, for whatever reason, put a kibosh on riding for the disabled in a number of areas around the state. Yeah, I'm just gathering some information on that and I'm going to try and speak to the federal opposition uh, spokesperson on this matter, on charities in particular, my good friend Andrew Lee. I'll try and get him on the program in the coming uh, days or week so we can dissect exactly what's happening here and maybe uh, he can advocate on their behalf. We'll find out. We'll get to the bottom of it. If there's, like I say, if you've got a story or if there's anything you want me to follow up, please 
Don't be shy, send us an email. Marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. Enjoy the rest of your day. Stay dry. Um, please look out for one another. Thank you again to the State Emergency Service. Uh, can you believe there's been an excess of 2,200 flood rescues in the last six weeks? And the amount of jobs that these angels in Orange have responded to have just been amazing. I don't know where we'd be without the volunteers in particular from the SES. Let's hope that all the rain that is forecast uh, doesn't fall and the Bureau completely stuffs it up and gets it wrong. That would be nice, wouldn't it, for a change? All right, back tomorrow. Ciao for now. Marcus Paul in the morning. (laughs) 